0: Imagine, if you will, a podcast. This is a very special podcast. Its upload schedule is inconsistent. Its listeners, non-existent. Hubris brought it to life. The hubris of two hopeless man-children by the names of Brian and Dakota. Cursed with a passing knowledge of every nerdy factoid or triviality. And doomed to think that you actually care. Here waits a kind of buffoonish Incompetence that can only be found on Cthulhu Light Show
1: Oh my god Is that Rod Serling?
0: No It's Brian What? (laughs) (laughs) That was Brian doing his worst Possible Rod Serling Impression
1: And This is Dakota doing uh, his best one-off
0: actor on the Twilight Zone. (laughs) Yeah, this is Cthulhu Light Show. Welcome back, fuckers. Uh, Here we are, episode 20. Oh my god, is it episode 20? Yeah. Fuck. Honestly, for us, that's like... That's like episode 200. That's... I know we make this joke like any time we hit like a 5 or a 10... Uh, number interval but uh 20 wow uh anyway so if you guys could not have guessed from the lame cringy intro we're talking about twilight zone today which i think is a show that's pretty near and dear to both our hearts although i think dakota you've been a fan for a lot longer than me several months ago i watched through the whole series on netflix for the first time and i kind of loved it so this episode's been a long time coming
1: yeah, this is. Uh, I never really thought about putting it in, like a in, in, like a ranking. It's one of my favorite shows. I don't, I, never, I don't, I don't know where it would lie with all the other dumb yeah. shit that I watch, but it, yeah. it, it's it's hard to it's hard to explain actually. Mm.
0: I think Twilight Zone is theoretically a show that's really easy to write off because it was late fifties, early sixties. You know, Black and White, it was predicated, not as much as people sometimes say, but, like, a lot of Twilight Zone episodes have big twists at the end. But most of those twists in, you know, for people who've been exposed to modern storytelling, most of those twists are very predictable nowadays. And there's a lot of kind of, like, hokey or cheesier episodes mixed in. But I still feel like... Even despite all of those factors, I still think it's, like, a stellar show.
1: Oh, it's 100% held up over the decades. Like, the Twilight Zone, there's a reason the Sci-Fi Channel plays it every New Year's, and they do a whole marathon. It's awesome.
0: Oh, that is cool. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I would actually argue the Twilight Zone has held up a lot better than stuff that's been done more recently, like, I think it, there are certain episodes of The Twilight Zone where the practical effects in black and white hold up better than, like, 90s, early 2000s CGI by, like, a mile. And you know what? something I was actually I was actually thinking about when I was prepping for the episode was... So I, I've gone on record as saying I'm a, I'm a pretty diehard Doctor Who fan before. I shouldn't even mention Doctor Who or nobody's going to listen to this episode, but...
1: I'll um, edit around it.
0: uh i grew up watching classic doctor who from like the 70s and 80s with my dad and uh the classic stuff always kind of unnerved me and i didn't really realize why but in retrospect the reason it unnerved me was because the even in the 80s the way doctor who was filmed was very flat like it was presented like a stage play where like everything was just laid out in front of you You got the whole set all the actors all the props it's all right there and the camera angles never change twilight zone in like 1950 whatever had a much more dynamic style of filming than 80s doctor who had uh, that was just something i realized when like i was watching the other day and i was like oh my god they're doing like close-ups and zooms and pans and like there's like a crane shot in one of them I'm pretty sure that I noticed so like Twilight Zone ha- actually had pretty insane production values especially for the time it was made in and I think that the people who made it were just like you know they, they were so good that stuff that came out decades later looked far cheesier in comparison is, is all I'm trying to say
1: yeah, I was actually going to bring it up. I was going to ask you what was better: it was the practical effects <laughs> on Twilight Zone or or the Doctor Who?
0: Oh my God, Twilight Zone by a fucking country mile.
1: I'll admit I've seen barely any classic Who, but yeah, good God. Oh yeah, <laughs> shoestring budget.
0: Well, ironically enough, Doctor Who I think probably at least prior to the revival had its best production values in the early 60s when it was just starting out because the bbc was a little more of a powerhouse then and you know maybe networks just had more money to throw around back then than they do now but like there are a lot of twilight zone episodes that have really interesting sets and like they film on location like a surprising amount so i i don't yeah, know you, think, I, I it,
1: you get... think it'd be all soundstage stuff but yeah, yeah. no they, they they get around to a uh... Bunch of different places.
0: Yeah, I mean, unlike classic Doctor Who, there's, like, a lot of compelling horror and sci-fi without a lot of styrofoam rocks and Halloween costumes. <laughs> um, there are definitely some of those things in Twilight Zone, but I it, I don't know. It's much easier for me to appreciate the, um, the effects and the production of Twilight Zone in general. So... I guess we were both probably drawn to twilight zone because as we've kind of talked about before we both kind of have a love for for retro stuff usually that applies to like video games but i i i've just always thought that the idea of like a 50s horror anthology series sounded really really cool and so i was kind of naturally drawn to it and i'm assuming you had a kind of a similar a similar feeling towards it
1: yeah it, it, it's one of those like like classic who and like radio like old radio shows. I'm, 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 I'm kind of into like older radio shows.
0: Well like War of the Worlds still fucking holds up like the original broadcast it's still really good.
1: Oh yeah yeah there's a reason yeah. it, it's lived it's lived on as long as it has
0: mm-hmm. And ironically they've tried and failed to redo Twilight Zone a couple of times now.
1: They're on um, their third reboot. It was one in '85 and one in 2002.
0: Yeah, I mean the one in '85. One of its writers was um, George R. R. Martin, aka the guy who wrote those books that Game of Thrones is based on.
1: Wait, he writes? Um,
0: yes. <laughs> You're so funny, bro. This was in the '80s when he had to write to make a living. <laughs> But, like, even that one failed. And from interviews with him, my understanding is they felt the problem was it was too hard to shock people with twists, like, nowadays. Like, already by the 80s, the audience was much more, like, I don't know, narratively savvy. And then I think the, the the new version, I'm assuming, is running into... I have not heard good things about the new version, personally.
1: I haven't watched... There's two seasons out of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. I haven't watched either yeah. of them yet. Uh, like yeah, Brian said, I've heard they're, they're nothing to write home about.
0: How do you feel about the new Twilight Zone puppeteering R- Rod Serling's uh, CGI corpse? How, do, how does that make you feel?
1: <sighs> well, how bad is it? Is it like the new Unsolved Mysteries where they where it's like an homage, it's like Robert Stack's silhouette in the intro or whatever? Or are they like bringing them out and like vocoding new fucking uh like new monologues from him
0: i think it's the latter i'm pretty sure Ugh. but I... I also know that they've remade some older episodes so maybe they're just reusing old monologues i'm not sure
1: i haven't seen it could be i mean the technology <laughs> is there there's a youtube channel that i watch that has like uh it's like ayn rand reading like the Communist Manifesto, or some shit. It's like it's, oh just, it's just dumb shit <laughs> like that. It's like uh, yeah, one. It's like Barack Obama reading the guerrilla warfare copy pasta. So yeah. like the technology is there. If you if you put enough words out into the ether, someone will <laughs> will take your voice, throw it into a machine, and then make you read like
0: porno. Yeah. Um. I just I, I actually have a fair bit of admiration for Rod Serling. I I don't know a ton about him, but I know that he was very prolific in his relatively short life. I think he died in his 50s. I could be wrong about that.
1: He, yeah, he died um, at 50, actually.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
1: Yep, couple of heart attacks. Um,
0: yeah, and he, like, he served in the military. He was writing and, <clears throat> I think, doing radio for a while. Um, won a ton of awards, and uh, he was... Not only, like, politically very progressive for his time, but I just think in terms of storytelling, he was ahead of his time. I really think the Twilight Zone, like, the Twilight Zone has some stuff in it that I can't believe came out of, like, the late 50s.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of, like, anti-war sentiment in a lot of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, like, like uh, anti-racism. Stuff, yeah, because that—that's kind of Rod Serling's other claim to fame besides obviously the Twilight Zone—is he was surprisingly progressive for yes. a guy who was born in like oh, fucking nineteen something. I—I don't, don't have if Wikipedia page pulled up. I don't want to pull it up right now, but that's fine. He was yeah. like the bad boy of Hollywood or some shit for a hot minute.
0: Yeah, well, and I know he was kind of in and out of Hollywood for a while because he got so sick and tired of, like, censorship. I, he, he also campaigned against censorship a lot as well, which I do, I do think it's hilarious that there are certain episodes of Twilight Zone that have, like, almost ghastly concepts. Um, like, a personal favorite of mine is an episode called Long Distance Call, where an old grandmother dies... And because she's unwilling to give up her grandson, who she's using as, like, a replacement for her actual son, married and didn't need her anymore, um, she, like, speaks to the boy through his toy telephone and tries to goad him into committing suicide. So, like, the boy tries to, like, drown himself and stuff. Or, like, run in front of cars and, like... Like, that is, like, a surprisingly ghastly idea for... Like, the early 60s, I think at that point it would have been. Um, But then in the same episode, the husband and wife are sleeping in separate twin beds. You know, like... (laughs) That shit blows me away, and I know that was the kind of thing that he hated, where he was like, why can't we just present the real world? Well, you you know
1: know who sleeps together in the same bed? Catholics. Yes. That's That's all I got, that's the joke. I, I, don't, okay. I don't know what you want from me.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to make some kind of like, I don't know, perverts. Like, you know, perverts sleepy. Well, I, I already said Catholics. Well,
1: <laughs> there <laughs> it is. Got there. We got there. Finally. <laughs> That's my one good joke.
0: Uh, you built on it. You built on it. Okay. That was good. I'll give you that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of can't avoid... Rod Serling, if you're going to talk about Twilight Zone. And I think it's very telling that, like, he's a part of the brand. Like, when they feel the need to puppeteer his corpse when they reboot the show. Because when people think of Twilight Zone, they think of... And they think of Rod Serling. And maybe they think of William Shatner going, There's something on the wing! Which he never actually says in the episode. But yeah. <laughs> those are, like, the three cultural touchstones for uh, Twilight Zone.
1: Yeah, it's... Sorry, I'm, I'm reading the synopsis for long... I didn't, I didn't watch Long Distance Call, unfortunately. I didn't yeah. get around to it, because I'm a terrible podcaster. Uh, but, good God, this sounds like a ghastly episode.
0: Well, the the freakiest thing is that, like, she gives him the phone as a present, and then she dies the next day, and... The parents hear him like talking on the toy phone and they assume he's just playing a game. And then when the mom comes in, she's like, who are you talking to? And he goes, Grandma. And she goes, oh, and he goes, Grandma wants to know if I can come over. And I'm like, holy fuck.
1: Oh, that's modern horror shit.
0: It is, and at some point, because I was always unclear, I think the idea is when he tries to drown himself, he, like, throws himself out of a window into the pool, or maybe off the roof, but before that happens, you hear him go, yeah, yeah, Peter Pan is a great story, Grandma, I want to fly too, or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh my god. That episode is like, you know, nowadays that's nothing, but I was like, my jaw dropped when the episode started going in that direction, because I just just couldn't believe it. Now, unfortunately, it has a really hokey ending where at the end, the, the actual son gets on the phone while the medics are trying to, like, resuscitate the boy, and he goes, Ma, if you love me, or you love little Billy, or whatever the fuck his name is, then please let him go, let him come back. He doesn't even know what it's like to have a girlfriend yet. And uh, then the boy lives. And that's the end.
1: Yay! A little
0: cheesy, but...
1: It's what you expect.
0: Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about Rod the Man?
1: The man, the myth, the chain-smoking legend.
0: (laughs) The chain-smoking CGI ghost.
1: Is he still smoking uh, in in the Jordan Peele show?
0: I wonder. I mean, that's part of his brand. Right?
1: I would assume not because cigarettes are verboten on TV now. Yeah,
0: but it's isn't it like an HBO show?
1: Uh, CBS All Access.
0: Oh, okay. So Maybe that's up to smoke. that's
1: up to the CBS broadcasting system. I, I don't. I forget what the actual acronym stands for. It doesn't matter. It's all Viacom.
0: Yeah. Um. Just, to, like, one last point on Rod Serling. Um, he wrote a lot. Like, he wrote the vast majority of the episodes for at least four of the five seasons. Um, season four is, like, completely unavailable. And as I understand it, he had, like, no involvement with it and it wasn't very good.
1: Yeah, they were hour-long episodes and, mm-hmm. like, it was kind of a real dip in quality.
0: But, yeah, he was, a, he was like, a powerhouse of a writer. Um, one thing Dakota and I talked about a little bit was that the kind of flip side of him writing so many episodes, though, is he did recycle ideas a fair bit. That that's, that's one way I do think Twilight Zone and Doctor Who are very similar, is that a lot of times you have to wade through some, like, schlock or some boring, like, repeat ideas to get to the gems. But, like, the gems are still gems, you know? And a lot of the ideas he recycles come out of like his own life. Like a lot of them about are about being in the military. A lot of them about are about planes. And I also know he had like a brief stint with like amateur boxing. You'll notice there's a lot of episodes about boxing. So you know, he wasn't always the best at coming up with the most varied ideas, but when he hit it, he hit it well.
1: It's it's right what you know. It's something like that. And like we said, e- even with the recycled ideas, like it's still worth most most of these episodes are still worth watching. yeah, of course there's there's some there's some stinkers, but that's mm-hmm. with all TV.
0: The only time I ever really had problems with Twilight Zone was there are a fairly large number of episodes that are just kind of like sappy morality tales, you know, where it's like here's a story about all the goodness in the world with like a cartoonishly evil antagonist and, you know, like... I don't know, some humble, good-hearted person who has all of their values reaffirmed by the end. Like, there there are a fair number of those. I wouldn't even say all of them are bad, per se. Some of them are fairly entertaining. I just, personally, was always most attracted to the show for the horror aspects. And I think the show's very good with the horror aspects, usually.
1: Yeah, the show is great at building suspense and... Just, just, and just, it's it's nothing but a, but a build mm. to, and, and really depends on uh, the twist, if it, if, the, if it pays off or not. But when it pays off, oh man. Yeah. I would even- Great shit. I would even
0: argue some of them, like, one of them that we're going to talk about in a bit, Eye of the Beholder, that's a very iconic episode. The twist is very obvious nowadays, like, I pretty much guessed it like five minutes in but it still was, like, handled so well that I still found it satisfying and I still thought it was a really creepy episode. And I appreciate that about The Twilight Zone, is that, like, one problem I have with, like, its kind of spiritual successor, Black Mirror, is that I think that's a show that sometimes sacrifices, like, the integrity of the story in exchange for a shocking twist. Whereas I feel like Twilight Zone's twists don't usually come at the cost of, like a quality plot line, you know? Yeah. Um, I guess I would, I would just add, to ramble a little longer, um, before we get into specific episodes, I would just add that, like, Twilight Zone has oftentimes a very specific brand of horror that I really like. Dakota, do you know what I mean if I say weird fiction, like, capital W, weird fiction? I do. Okay. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, weird fiction is generally considered to be a subgenre of horror that inv- that like revolves around the supernatural and also either the unknown or the inexplicable. H.P. Lovecraft is often referred to as the father of the weird, but he actually was kind of following in a tradition himself. Like there were plenty of writers who were writing the weird before him. Poe was arguably one of the first um
1: yeah, I, I thought about uh, Lovecraft before I thought about Poe or anything mm-hmm. else.
0: Lovecraft is definitely the most well known, but like he is kind of a weird case because he created a subgenre within the subgenre. Like Lovecraftian horror or cosmic horror is like a kind of weird fiction, which is a kind of horror fiction. But anyway, like I think Twilight Zone often delves into the capital W weird because Oh, definitely. A lot of its episodes provide you with these bizarre scenarios that are either really uncomfortable or unsettling or creepy, but it doesn't waste its time with unnecessary explanations. Like, um, what what's the one? Man Against Machines?
1: Uh, a Thing About a Machines?
0: Thi- a Thing About Machines. That is an episode... Oh, you
1: my favorite episode?
0: Yeah, yeah. D- describe it for me, Dakota. <laughs> Summarize right. that bad boy.
1: All right, so uh, a thing about machines. There's this rich man, Bartlett Finchley, who's like a sophisticate or a fake sophisticate, I guess, whatever you want to call it. He's like he's a, a, food he's a fancy, bo- yeah, he's a fancy boy. He's a food critic, mm. uh, but he hates everything.
0: He's the like, asshole I, from Ratatouille.
1: Yes, exactly. He's pretty much the asshole uh, from Ratatouille, and he over the course of the episode gets convinced that his, <laughs> like his like TV and radio and like oven are trying to kill him.
0: Mhm.
1: It it, it it right there. That that's Hey, uh, my fucking appliances are trying to kill me. Yep. That's the whole premise.
0: Yeah, I mean like the typewriter starts typing, "Get out." What's his name? Finchley?
1: Yeah, get out of here, Finchley!
0: Get out of here, Finchley! Get out of here, Finchley! The TV starts saying, "Why don't you get out of here, Finchley?" He starts to hear it on the phone, and there's like some kind of goofy moments where like his electrical razor like chases him down the stairs and stuff. It fucking and... kills him. <laughs> what? Yeah, that, no, it
1: kills him. Like it chases him out, and he falls into a pool and fucking dies.
0: Well, that's the car. The 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 razor chases him out of the house and then his car tries to run him down and chases him through the neighborhood. Oh Um, shit,
1: that's what it is. Okay. Yeah.
0: But like I think that's that episode is a great example of what I'm talking about because there's it's slightly implied that maybe he's crazy, but I really don't think that's what they intend for you to take away from it. Because like the car is still there when they find him in the pool and they say like, Oh, his eyes were wide as if something was chasing him. So like, I I do think you're meant to assume that it's not like he was just driving around in his car and then he passed out and drowned in the pool. Um, (laughs) Although that would be a fun episode in its own right. But um, that episode doesn't bother telling you oh, there's a a poltergeist um, controlling his electronics, or... Like, seemingly the only explanation is that he has a habit of when technology doesn't work, he gets pissed and he breaks it. And seemingly the machines just want, like, revenge? Or they want to be rid of him because they're tired of him abusing their kind? And, like... It's a. It, it might sound like a goofy explanation, but the fact that they don't dwell on it is what makes the episode work.
1: Yeah, it's it's not bogged down by like backstory. We're not seeing. We don't see like some aliens. Like, hey, let's let's mess with this guy. Right. It, it or like 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 Brian said with ghosts or anything or yeah. like gremlins or whatever you want whatever whatever it is. It's just, uh, this guy sophisticated, but he's angry. And also, his appliances are trying to kill him.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole point of, like, the Twilight Zone premise is that this is a realm where, like, sometimes you slip into a realm where the inexplicable or the impossible becomes real. And that's all you need to know. Like, you, you it doesn't bog the episode down with any, any pointless... And frankly, I think a lot of these stories would become less interesting if you did that.
1: Half of the magic of the Twilight Zone is... Uh, it's like sitting down and thinking, like, and, and you know, trying, trying to piece things together yourself,
0: mm-hmm. almost. But there's plenty of episodes where, in the end, you don't know, and it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care why the machines were chasing him, you know, I don't think that's really the point.
1: The point is, they're alive.
0: And they want him dead, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, um... In that sense, I I think, like, that's another niche way in which it appeals to me is just that, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's like, that's like exactly my kind of horror, where it's just like, it doesn't waste your time with explanations, it just lets the creepy stuff stand on its own. We have four, like, iconic episodes lined up that we wanted to talk about in depth, and then I think we were just going to kind of talk about our favorite episodes and reminisce about them.
1: Oh, well, we kind of got a head on mine, so let's, uh, Brian, go ahead and dive into one of, like, the iconic Twilight Zone episodes.
0: All right, we'll start with probably the most iconic one, which is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. This was the third episode of Season 5, and it was based on a short story by Richard Matheson. Yeah, this was 63 at this point, so... Actually, the year Classic Who started, so... So this, for anybody who doesn't know, this is the episode with William Shatner where he's in a plane and there's a gremlin on the wing trying to basically crash the plane. How do you you feel about this episode, Dakota?
1: Having watched it back with, you know, jaded, dead inside 2020 eyes.
0: Yeah.
1: uh, It's cheesy as all get out. Yeah. But Shatner makes it work. And then yeah. you know th- this this isn't like Brian did you know uh, uh, did go where no man has gone before like yeah. like parody William Shatner this is this is prime this is like early prime Shatner I guess early yeah. Shatner but also like like he's actually a good actor it turns out
0: <laughs> yeah well, yeah William Shatner gets way too much shit like people always parody his Kirk performance but like he is a legitimately good actor I. Pretty much agree with what you've said. I would go so far as to say for me, William Shatner is really the only good thing about the episode. This is a rare example where the production values in some ways are kind of low. (laughs) Yeah, they are. I, um, like, there's a moment where he first sees, like, a man walking on the wing, and, like, the rain is lashing, and there's lightning flashing and thunder rumbling and stuff, and he sees this, like, silhouette coming closer, and he freaks out, and he closes the curtain, and he tells himself it's not real, but then when he opens the curtain again, its face is smushed up against the glass, um, and it has, like, this freaky prosthetic, uh, mask on. That is a genuinely frightening moment, but the problem is that the only part of the suit that is scary is the mask. Oh, yeah. The rest of the costume looks bad, in my opinion.
1: It does. And I'll I'll admit straight up, uh, that got me.
0: Oh, no, me too. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the moment that people remember. But I actually think that there's a lot of Twilight Zone episodes that are much better than this one. Um, It's just that that one moment got people so good i think um and shatner is so good
1: it's the first jump scare
0: yeah pretty much i mean but like the actual costume for the gremlin is like big and baggy and like pardon the rhyme it's it's big it's baggy it's shaggy um it it looks like a rejected yeti costume Um,
1: (laughs) it's not a good costume
0: no dude the worst thing about it is multiple times the gremlin crouches down to like pull up a piece of the wing so he can like tear the wires out almost every time he does that you can see the (laughs) actor's fucking shoes (laughs) and it's like this is the same show that gave me eye of the beholder like what what
1: yeah, um, this is the same show that gave us to serve man.
0: Yeah, I mean, and even that episode has its cheesy elements, but, like, the the, the alien design ain't bad.
1: Um, no, it's not. The ship uh, is, eh, it's a little generic, but, you know, whatever. Yeah,
0: it is, yeah. But, um, if somebody started with this episode, they would write Twilight Zone off as cheesy, like, 60s schlock. But, again... Best part is William Shatner. Um, there is another interesting element where, like, you learn at the very beginning of the episode that Shatner has just gotten out of the hospital after having, like, a nervous breakdown on a plane. So his wife, as- the entire episode, is assuming that he's having another one and hallucinating. But then at the end of the episode, you get to see, like, the torn up plates on the wing and the, you know, the messed up wires and stuff. So. I think that element of the episode is pretty interesting. Um, there's also this thing where, like, any time somebody else is about to look at the gremlin, it gets, like, swept away by the wind. And it does this, like, whoa, whoa, whoa thing, where, like, it's fucking... It, I don't know. It looks super cheesy. I think,
1: and if you want to dig into it, I think that's the gremlin fucking with him.
0: I, see, I wondered that, but I was like, this thing isn't... It's not a good enough costume for that to be creepy. So now I have to assume that after this like really scary jump scare, you're trying to make it like a comedy now, but also Shatner's like pissing his pants and like going insane and he's like leaning out of the window to shoot it and like 20,000 feet in the air. Yeah, Uh, he caps it too. Like he, he does pretty good shot sure is. Yeah, th- this would be an example when the show would have benefited from not showing too much of the gremlin at a time. Keep it a silhouette. Don't give it such a hokey and ridiculous costume. Don't let the actor's shoes show. Like that, yeah.
1: I, I was because I, I was starting to think about it. Like, was the part of the suit uh, like the mask specifically? Like for the gremlin, did that was it recycled from Eye of the Beholder? Maybe um, I'm it, reading into it too much.
0: It does look similar, but the Eye of the Beholder one is definitely different. Like the lip, like juts out on one side, and they have like like a a ridge on their like their brows. But it does kind of have the same like bulgy pig nosed look. I'll grant you that.
1: Yeah, um, and yeah, I now that I, now that I yeah not not in the the mouth so much. It, it's. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a homage. Probably just like, "Hey, make this mask look different." You've got you've got six hours and thirty dollars to do it with.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna give you a roll of shag carpeting for the rest of the
1: costume. <laughs> <laughs> we found some out back, so it's yours now.
0: This pr- this dude says uh, Keith Phillips of Vulture said the episode doubles as an effective shorthand for a fear of flying. I guess. If the fear comes from gorillas on the plane.
1: <laughs> In a way, it sounds like he's coming, he's coming, uh, Keith, whatever his name is. Yeah. He, he sounds like he's coming from, like, the perspective of the passengers and not yeah, Shatner, but, you know, Bob Wilson is yeah. the character's name, but Shatner.
0: Yeah, it's a very, like, he's being interpretive. I'm, I'm not, I'm being deliberately dense. Like, a, you it's, know, it's
1: not, it's not a bad take. It's, it's, just, no, it's, 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 it's not. a take. It's it's, it's, a, not. it's a perfectly room temperature take.
0: Yeah, the problem is just that the execution of the episode aside, everything that happens inside the plane is great, but the gremlin is just kind of laughable. Dakota, why don't you walk us through uh, To Serve Man real quick?
1: All right. So To Serve Man, at the, it's the alien episode. You know, there's a lot of them in the Twilight Zone, but when you say the alien episode, I think of To Serve Man. Yeah. Uh, so the Canemets make contact with Earth, and uh, they're super cool. They're they're giving us all this technology. They're showing us how to harness clean energy and end famine. You know, end world hunger. All that generic stuff. World peace. All that uh, all that bullshit you've heard about before. Mm. And they leave a book with the people, and translated from the alien language to English, it's to serve man.
0: Yeah, that's the title of the book, yeah.
1: And one of the guys, uh, Michael Chambers, who's the head cryptographer for the UN, I guess the UN, still had some sway at this point. (laughs) Um, And he starts to think, of course, yo, it's a serve, man! It's a cookbook! Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah. well, yeah, as the guy's getting on the ship because they start, like, whisking people away to, like, the promised land. As he's getting on the ship, his his uh, employee runs out to say that she's finished translating it. She says, it's a cookbook to serve There man. it is. That's yeah. it.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm really bad at explaining things, okay, which man. is not good for a podcast. It's cool, bro. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's the... I, I, I at least hit the, the cookbook thing.
0: Yeah, so... The twist is maybe a little cheesy, but I still think it's pretty fun, personally. It is. Yeah. I have slightly mixed feelings about the, um... Canamid's designs. They just, like, always look kind of vaguely, like, slack Yeah,
1: it's... I think it's just a limit of the, uh... Of, like, the prosthetics. Yeah. Yeah. And just a weird thing I want to touch on real quick with this episode... Is like it actually breaks the fourth wall at one point. Oh yeah, because that uh, Michael looks at the camera. He's like, "How about you? You still on Earth, or are you with me?" But it doesn't matter now, because sooner or later we'll all be on the menu.
0: All of us. And the framing device almost seems a little pointless until at the end, a Canamid comes in and says like. You need to be eating. We'd hate for you to lose weight. And it's like, oh, it's like Hansel and Gretel or whatever. Yeah, dude, I just fucking learned something. The guy who plays all the Canemets was the guy who played Jaws in the James Bond movies. What? Yeah, he has not aged well. Holy crap! He does have some. Awesome... K- he does have some kind of. uh like, genetic condition. That's the reason why he's so tall. So I guess I shouldn't... Oh, I'm,
1: just, I'm sure it's gigantism or something.
0: I think it's a form of it, yeah. But that's... Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about this episode, too, is it doesn't really follow a character in the way that most episodes do. Like, the framing device and a little bit of the, the rest of the episode follows this one guy who's, like, the cryptographer. But a lot of it is just, like... U.N. meetings and like news segments on TV, like it's all kind of like bits of information pieced together from all over. There's not like a central focus like most episodes have. It's a pretty solid episode. Um, there's one. It th-
1: is. It, it's sorry, sorry. I was I was saying it. It's it's one of the most popular episodes of Twilight Zone for a reason because it yeah. is actually a legitimately good episode.
0: Yeah, I would say like with twenty thousand feet. I like this one more than 20,000 feet, but I still think there's a lot of episodes I prefer. I think it's just that twist is so iconic that people kind of can't forget this one. One thing that annoys me very slightly is they, like, speak telepathically, but at one point you're, like, watching, like, a, a film where they're, like, interviewing one, and you can hear it, like, even though it's, <laughs> like, through a camera. But whatever. They didn't think about such things. Ah oh, well. Anyway, uh, let's get on to "It's a Good Life,"
1: and uh, this one—I just jump out ahead of you real quick. This, yeah. this is the episode I think of when I when I hear Twilight Zone.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Although, ironically, this one has no twist.
1: Yeah, no, it, it's played straight, yeah. which is I think why it's so good. Is because all these episodes have these crazy twists at the end. You know, it's a cookbook. Uh there's actually aliens here. Mm. Um gold is worth nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Brian, explain.
0: All right, so this is based on a short story by the same name by Jerome Bixby and this is literally just about like a little kid who has like god-like mind powers if he wishes for something or thinks about something it will happen and he can like read people's minds and stuff and basically people in this town are terrified of him and they're constantly going like tripping over themselves to try and come off as being as positive and optimistic as possible when they're around him like the immediate first scene is really creepy because this guy is like delivering... Like he's from the grocery store or something. He's delivering stuff. And he sees the boy playing outside. And he's like, it's a real good day, don't you think? Real good day, don't you think? Um, what's the kid's name again? Anthony, yeah. It's a real good day, yeah. Anthony. Don't you think? It's a real good day. And um, then he sees something off camera. And he's like horrified. But he tries to hide it. And he goes, "Um, uh, what, 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 what are you doing, Anthony? And Anthony's like... I made a gopher. It's got three heads. And he's like, Oh, it, it it's real great. You've done that, Anthony. Re- <laughs> Re- real great. But you, like they, but they do the thing that they should have done in the, with the gremlin, which is they don't show you. All you see is he picks it up by the tail and the tail looks nothing like any tail a gopher would have. And that's it. That's all you see. And so the entire episode is people just tiptoeing around him. And you learn that like, Basically, he's—it's impossible to discipline him because at an early age, if something upset him, he would just send it into the cornfield. He says, which I think usually means it's either been horrifically transformed or killed. At one point, like he has a reputation for disappearing dogs because he doesn't like them barking at him. Um, there was one guy who, like, another thing is he hates singing out loud. So, like, uh, there was like a farmer who I think sang out loud in his presence, and the boy set him on fire. He, the, the father has a, a conversation with his son, Anthony, where Anthony was in the barn and he's like, you weren't, uh, you were looking at the cows. You weren't uh, playing any, uh, any tricks on your old man, were you? And Anthony's like, no. But then he starts laughing about the time he, he turned one of the cows into a monster. And the dad's like, huh you uh you sure did that was a that was a real good thing you did anthony real good you know that's the thing that people say throughout the entire episode and basically by the end it's somebody's birthday and he gets shit faced cuz he's miserable and he pushes anthony too far and at the end he's begging everybody to like literally again can't believe they aired this on tv in the 60s (laughs) um he's like he's saying somebody please the 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 poker from the fire or a bottle or something hit him over the head kill him like he's like freaking out on them to kill him while his back is turned and none of them will do it and ultimately anthony turns him into a jack-in-the-box that has like his human torso attached to the spring like it is pretty torso yeah, you can see his head and his shoulders and his, like his upper chest.
1: Oh, I knew it was head, but like,
0: yeah, you can see part of his part of it, his body.
1: It's a it's a, it's a silhouette, so it's not directly shown.
0: No, no, they well they don't show you the whole thing, but you do see his head with a little pointy hat on, and you do see it like swaying from side to side as like the spring bounces.
1: Yeah, that,
0: that, that, that's what I meant. My bad. Okay. I mean, it is pretty pretty ghastly, still. And then everybody's like, Anthony, please, please, send him to the cornfield! We don't want to look! We don't want to look! And he does. And then the ending is Anthony makes it snow because he wants to. Just because he wants it to. And the father's like, do you have an idea what that's gonna do to the crops? And the mother's like, please, please, don't, 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 don't. And he's like, oh, I mean, yeah, that's, a, that's real good snow, Anthony, and real good snow. So, like... Sorry, that's a, probably a little more in-depth than it needed to be, but, like, you almost kind of have to see it to understand it, because it does... It unfolds slowly, but it's a it's a really good build. Like, by the time you actually do see him do something, it is frightening, and it's really cool to see people slowly breaking down, but having no choice but to, like, kind of keep up the act, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it, 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 It's a monster movie... But, let me see. Uh, remember Brightburn?
0: Yeah, I never saw it, but yeah.
1: Neither did I. Uh, it's Brightburn, <laughs> but, like, done properly. Oh, yeah. I guess it's the best way to describe it for modern audiences who haven't heard of the Twilight Zone already.
0: Damn, this bitch just said he had never seen it and then dissed it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, isn't that what you do with everything? No. That's, well, isn't that how it works? You just shit talk something until you see it?
0: Oh right, Twitter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, life is, <laughs> life is Twitter. I forgot. Yes. Um. Yeah, yeah. It's a monster. It's a monster story where the monster is a human child, quote and, unquote
1: human child. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And again, we don't know how he has these fantastical powers, and it doesn't matter.
1: Never explained. Doesn't have to be explained. You ask questions, you get sent to the fucking cornfield.
0: And I, I love the um. I love the title of the episode, It's a Good Life, because it invokes this, like, simple, small-town, rural lifestyle. But then you have this horror wrapped up in the middle of it. Uh, And it also kind of speaks to the fact that throughout the episode, people are constantly lying about horrible things being really good.
1: It's just just so uh, Anthony doesn't, like, put uh, their head on their feet.
0: Yes, yeah,
1: or like, turn him into a school bus and then throw it in the cornfield. I don't. You do every watch. That's the whole thing. It doesn't matter how yeah. he does it.
0: Yeah. Well, and the interesting thing about the episode also is it's not a hopeful ending. Nobody triumphs. Um, it's very bleak. Like it's literally just he will continue to fuck with us until he until all of us get turned against, and that's that. Like we just have to live with it. You even get the sense that the reason... I mean, personally, I get the sense that the reason nobody helps the guy who gets jack in the Boxified, um, the reason why nobody does what he says and kills the boy while his back is turned, I don't think it's because they have any reservations about killing a child. Like, even the parents of Anthony, I don't think that's what's happening. What I think is happening is they're just that fucking scared of him.
1: Yeah, like... They don't, they don't know how quick his, like, how quick he can, like, turn people. Cause yeah.
0: You
1: know, he does the little point, you know, the iconic little point thing, point point yeah. stare, and then he turns yeah. into a fucking jack-in-the-box. Like... Well, yeah. Even even if they all swarm him, like, they're just like, bam, yeah. you're all gummy bears now.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. And supposedly he can, like, sometimes hear their thoughts, so, like, it's not even safe to, like, slip something in his food or something. There's a moment earlier in the episode where the mother is talking about how the last time he made a new pet in the front yard, it had lots and lots of teeth and it, it tried to bite him real good. And she, she slips and says, I almost hoped. And then she trails off. So it's like, even his mother is waiting for him to die somehow. Um, so again, yeah. this is the same show that won't let married couples sleep in the same bed though. Cause the fifties and sixties were fascinating.
1: We'll do a whole episode about uh, an SS officer going back to a, a concentration camp and being put on trial by uh, the, you know, the victims of the camp. Yeah. But God <laughs> forbid we show a married couple sleeping in the same bed.
0: I fucking forgot about that episode. That's an interesting episode yeah. too. Deaths had revisited. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. I think I think like if if anybody were to look up like. T- top 10 20 30 episodes of twilight zone i think most people would enjoy themselves watching them and i'm sure that would be on there but yeah it's a good life is a very good one um one thing interesting to note is that the little boy who plays anthony is also the little boy who tries to drown himself in long distance call and uh holy shit he's so bad in that one <laughs> oh really well, because I think what makes him creepy in this episode is he doesn't really, like, emote. Like, he's just kind of, like, emotionless. But it turns out that's not good acting because he does the same thing in Long Distance Call when he's supposed to be, like, sympathetic and full of life and stuff.
1: Right. Um, yeah. uh, he gets better, I guess, because uh, Bill, Bill, Moomy, I'm pronouncing, I'm, Bill Mummy. I'm pronouncing that off, I'm butchering that. Uh he's Will Robinson in Lost in Space.
0: Oh really? Okay.
1: Yeah, so like he does get better. He ends up at like Babylon five. Uh he's in a band apparently.
0: Mm. Okay. Well fucking Cloris Leachman is his mom.
1: I had I've had like no lie, like three or four opportunities to meet him just cause he he does, he does like uh like uh oh, damn it. What are those things what's Comic Con? A convention? A convention! I forgot we had those at
0: one point. Yeah, that was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, he, he, he did a lot of those.
0: Yeah, boy, he's old.
1: Yeah, born in 54. Still going.
0: This bitch old! Yeet. Into the cornfield. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so we got one last uh, iconic episode to discuss. We're already running kind of long on time. But this one is... The Eye of the Beholder, although it also apparently was rebroadcast in 62 under the title The Private World of Darkness, which is a far worse title, I think.
1: That's um, a way worse title.
0: I, I will grant you it's possible Eye of the Beholder gives away the twist a little bit, but this is a strong contender for my favorite episode of the show. It's hard for me to say whether I would necessarily give it that honor, but it's easily in my in my top three, I think. I love this one, and uh, I think, yeah, you, you'd seen this one before we we prepped for this, right? Yes. Yeah. So, the basic gist of this episode, like, it's gonna say sound way less interesting when it's explained than it is when you experience it, because, like,
1: yeah, this sorry this episode. You know? oh, I'm just trying to add a little extra spice yeah. on this. Yeah. This episode, this is one of those we really need to see to to really under to really grasp the whole thing.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, we're trying our best to describe these episodes as poorly as possible. Apparently, mm-hmm. um, now we're, uh, it, 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 these are these are hard to explain because there's there's a lot of it's, it's, uh, it's a TV show. It's a lot of visual stuff. It's it's harder to explain that. Yeah, you know, over a podcast. So if you could find them legally, of course, you really need to seek out at least either the holders. It's one like I said. Yeah. It's one you have to see to to really get the full experience.
0: Yeah, and this is all on Netflix, so it's not too hard to get a hold of. Uh, is Season 4 on Netflix? No. I, I As far as I'm aware, Season 4 is barely available at all anywhere. Like, I think some of those episodes are just lost to time. So, when I talk about Twilight Zone sometimes having very surprising production values, this is definitely one of the episodes I have in mind, because... Um, The sets are all pretty good, um, and mainly just the way it's filmed is, like, great. Like, the camera work and more than anything else, the lighting is, like, excellent. So, the basic gist of this episode, this is a, like, world where conformity is valued above all else and people who do not meet a certain standard of beauty either you know have to subject themselves to like a bunch of surgery and treatment to try and fix their faces or they have to go into a kind of ghetto or like leper colony to live with other people of their kind away from like polite society. The episode centers specifically around uh, a young woman named Janet Tyler who we're given to understand Okay, so this is her 11th treatment, which is, according to Wikipedia and the episode, the maximum number legally allowed. And so, for most of the episode, her face is completely wrapped in bandages. And people, including her, keep talking about how hideous she is, basically, and how, like, you know hopefully she can be beautiful again and she just wants to feel the wind on her face and stuff like that but like they have to like keep her indoors and stuff and um she at times freaks out about like who has the right to say what is and isn't beautiful and you know why should you be punished for an accident of birth but then other times she's like i just want to fit in with everybody else which i think is very believable and the really interesting thing about the episode is the entire episode progresses with her face covered in bandages. You do not see the face of anybody else until the very end of the episode. So the doctors, the nurses, the orderlies, even the people, like, like there's like a dictator, like, shouting about conformity on the TVs. N- either all of them are in shadow or they have their backs turned, or there's an object blocking their face, or they're super far away, which would be even more effective on, like, a 1960 TV, you know? But, uh... Like a little fucking black and white, like, three-inch screen? Right, yeah, yeah. Because I, I believe... I believe the people in those, like, long shots, I believe the people's faces are visible, but... they're only slightly visible because we're just viewing it on bigger screens and a a better resolution you know yeah but um so basically it comes time for her to have her bandages taken off and when the bandages are removed she's just this like beautiful young woman totally normal and all of the like doctors and, and assistants like start like screaming and freaking out and dropping stuff and somebody's like she's hideous and she starts, like, crying and screaming about how it didn't work, it didn't work, it didn't work. And then finally the doctor turns his head, and you see that he's, like, hideous. Like, he's he's got, honestly, really good prosthetics. Like, the prosthetics still hold up fairly well. Like, he's got this, like, ridged, like, extremely protruding brow... he's got a literal pig nose his mouth like the lip like sticks really far out and like skews to one side they they essentially look like monsters and so like the big reveal is that like she was completely beautiful by by our culture standards and the people around her are monsters but because of the culture she grew up in you know it's inverted and she's so terrified to go to this like leper colony but then at the end she meets the guy who's going to take her there and he's like Nice hair, chiseled jaw, like Hollywood looks, you know, like a movie star. And she, she's kind of like, mm, maybe this won't be so bad, you know. That's pretty much the gist of the episode. Like, it, it has a theoretically happy ending where, like, she realizes she's going to a place who are, like, where people are like her and maybe she can, like, learn to love herself there, I think, is kind of the implication. The episode's a big indictment of, like, conformity and, like, standards of beauty, which, you know, that's certainly relevant today. For me, the thing that makes it interesting is just the way it's filmed.
1: Yeah. It's, it's the shot composition, some masterful work. This is a case study on how to, how to like, how to frame and how to shoot your, uh, like your, like, you know, TV.
0: Yeah. Well, cause the entire, like, like I said, this was the one where I saw the twist coming from like a mile away constantly being denied access like being unable to see anybody's faces for the entire episode made it so that that kind of unease just kept building and building and building and even though i saw it coming the shock reveal still affected me i was still like "Ooh!" it still felt like a satisfying payoff to a really creepy episode an episode that it doesn't really have horror elements it's just it's very unsettling I also think this episode is a prime example of how black and white really does have a place, you know? Yeah. Like, I think this is a good it's... example of an episode that would not work nearly as well in color, personally. You know, Brian, interesting that you say that, oh, because
1: yeah? uh, Eye of the Beholder actually was remade in the 2002 uh, Twilight Zone series.
0: Oh, really?
1: yeah. So we'll we'll have to hunt that down at some point and see if it, you know, if it's actually any good in color.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna look at the uh, the image. Oh, there isn't one. God damn it.
1: Yeah, Um, I, I was disappointed too.
0: Um, but like, I really think the thing that makes it so effective is that there's such a sharp contrast between shadow and light. You know, like, the shadows are that much deeper, and it's that much more unsettling because it's pure black in contrast with, like, a lot of times pure white and then those shades of gray. Um, I'm looking at an episode, or I'm looking at a screen cap from the episode. I actually think the prosthetics look way worse in the new version.
1: Of course they do.
0: Like, they don't look nearly as shocking to me.
1: Would drop that in the Discord real quick.
0: Yeah, I got you. Oh man!
1: Oh, that's rough.
0: Yeah, I feel like they still look too human. Like, I'm yeah, even... they're just
1: they're just like burn victims.
0: Yeah, with like a like big noses. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's that's
1: it. there's nothing.
0: Like, I'm not even sure if um, I'm not even sure if like the pig faced people in the actual episode are strictly meant to be human. Um, I mean, I guess theoretically they are. But, like, the kind of implication is when you see the dictator on the TV, he is one of these, like, pig-faced people. So, I think the idea is that this became the standard of beauty and the thing to conform to because the dictator in power looked like that, you know? Um, Yeah. And and maybe there's, like, a long line of these dictators from the same family with the same, you know, genetic makeup, roughly, and stuff like that. So... Uh, do you have anything you want to add about Eye of the Beholder? My, my basic thought is just, it's a really good build-up, it's really well-filmed, and I really do think black and white... Like, a lot of Twilight Zone episodes are as effective as they are because the black and white really enhances, like, how the shadows affect the scene. I and mean, I think this is a great example of that.
1: Yeah, I, that's that's really all I got, man. This is just, this is, like I said before, this really is one you need to seek out and I don't know if we want to put together like a little list of episodes that people like must see stuff before we wrap up uh, so I, I got a couple recommendations I could throw out
0: yeah I figured we'd at least talk about like personal favorites that didn't make the list because maybe they're not super iconic
1: right um well in that case like I said my favorite my favorite episode is a thing about machines which we talked about earlier. A close second, actually, is The Obsolete Man. Which, uh, this one actually... This is this is a weird one, because it, it still works today. The basic gist of it is that, uh... Romney Wordsworth, who is a librarian... And then you see that? Yes. He is judged obsolete by, like, uh, aliens or, like, a fascist government or something. I I'm not... It's been a minute. I'm pulling this from memory. Yeah. Uh. No, I that the page pulled up right here.
0: It's like a, it's like a book burning culture. Like they're very yeah. anti anti intellectualism. I think there's definitely a commentary going on about like Stalinism here. Or yeah, there's communism.
1: that. On top of uh, the very real, what I want to, what I really want to get into is like the very real uh, future we're facing, where work like librarians or like uh delivery guys or like truck drivers or like call center people that's gonna be replaced by robots. Yeah. So that those people will literally be rendered obsolete. Uh they probably they probably won't be put to death. Like how uh Romney is in the episode. I say probably, because anything happens we live in a fucking Twilight Zone. mm <clears throat> Bottom text. <laughs> <laughs> um But it's it's just, it's such a solid episode. It's a solid commentary on, like Brian said, like, God, on Stalinism. And like I said, on, like, you know, the coming, uh, the singularity, I guess, is what we want to call it.
0: I mean, I I think it's another episode whose message holds up to a certain extent today because, I mean, again, I think we're kind of seeing a rise in, like, anti-intellectualism. You know, like, some someone in, like, Boris Johnson's staff very infamously said that the citizens of the UK were done with experts, which, um, from my mind, is, like, a very concerning thing to say. Oh, you're done with people who actually know what they're talking about? Like, that's not a good thing. So, I think that an episode all about, like, trying to crush the pursuit of knowledge and devaluing people who possess knowledge, I, I do think that that's still kind of pertinent today. And Burgess Meredith oh, is good.
1: Solid, solid actor.
0: Yeah, I know one that I want to give an an honorable mention to is called Shadow Play. This is it's from season two, and it's um it's about a man who has been sentenced to death in the electric chair, but he keeps reliving it again and again and again. It begins with his sentencing, and then he spends all the time waiting to die, and then he experiences the pain of electrocution and death, and then he wakes back up in the courtroom being sentenced. And he, he's at the point where he's like, I want to die because it's the anticipation that's driving me insane. I hate having to wait again and again and again and again. It's really interesting. It's a pretty creepy one.
1: That's one I... I'll have to seek out then, actually. That sounds pretty awesome.
0: Oh, you haven't (laughs) seen it? I like it a lot. It's really good.
1: No, I haven't. That sounds great. Yeah. One more that I want to pull up real quick. The Rip Van Winkle Caper. Yeah. This is another personal favorite, of course. Basic gist. uh, Four guys rob a gold shipment going from Fort Knox to Los Angeles. So their plan is to steal the gold... And hide out in this cave where they have four, like, hyperbaric or hyperbolic. Or... They, they got, like, the Futurama freezing machines mm-hmm. that they're gonna set for a hundred years in the future. And ideas by that point, people will have forgotten about the gold and they'll be able to live their lives and spend the gold and you know, be rich. As it goes on, of course, because they're all thieves, no honor among thieves, so things kind of break down. Long story short. <laughs> Ugh, this fucking guy He's offered me gold. Gold's worthless. We make that shit in labs
0: now. Well, yeah, he basically says we don't have money anymore. It's not real. So basically they go through, like, all these trials and tribulations. They go through this ridiculously convoluted scheme, um, only to discover that the thing that they were, like, lusting after isn't even considered valued anymore. Um,
1: Yeah, just like in real life.
0: Yeah, sure, yeah.
1: Um, Yep, money's not real.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, people still value it though. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, this one's fun, but I don't, I don't like it nearly as much as you do. I think it's okay. I,
1: the twist is just dumb enough. Yeah. The, yeah, the twist is just dumb enough for I really enjoy it. Just it, the it, idea. It's, it's, sorry. It's more of a guilty pleasure episode than like, yeah, a, like a, you need to go out and see this episode.
0: I just remember, like, being a very young kid in, like, the 90s, like, the late 90s, and being told, like, by 2005, we're gonna have flying cars. And this just makes me think of that, like, a hundred years from now, money won't be real! It's like, a hundred years ain't that long, man. If money's been real for this long, I don't think it's going anywhere.
1: Yeah, dude, like, this episode came out in 1961, Mm -hmm. and the gold standard got uh, removed, I think 75 or seven, yeah, 75 or 76. Yeah. So, uh, what, what are you not telling us, Mr. Serling?
0: <laughs> I'll never tell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Um, so my last honorable mention, uh, and then we'll wrap up is, um, there's an episode that I really like from the first season called the monsters are due on Maple street. Um, and, This is a great example of an episode whose, like, core premise, Serling recycles again and again and again, where basically all of the power goes out on the street, and people are freaked out for a minute, but then they get over it. But there was, like, a comet or something that flew overhead briefly, and a little boy saw it, and he puts it into everybody's head that means aliens are coming and they're going to be infiltrating and that's why like all the power's gone and why none of the cars will start for some reason and he says you know if we start splitting off and like going to check other blocks other neighborhoods then we'll never know who's really us and who's like an alien spy and so the basic story and like a couple people do wander away they're like that's a bunch of nonsense but then weird shit starts happening we're like some of the lights turn on but others don't or like the cars will like start and stop like or like move of their own accord basically very briefly and so people start like tearing at each other's throats and like one guy the like porch light goes on at his house and so everybody assumes like he's one of them he's in on it and they start like freaking out at him and literally it's just people panicking and turning against each other which is like a familiar sci-fi horror plot I don't know, it's still, it's still interesting to watch, and, like, at the end, the people come back into the neighborhood, and they're like, what's happened to you people? You're all monsters, you know? But, the one thing that I think is really cheesy and lame about this episode, uh, but you kind of had to have it, is, at the end, there is, like, a UFO on a hilltop, and it is revealed that they have just been fucking with them by, like, turning the power on and off with some device. Um, so like the people weren't necessarily wrong to panic. Um, it was just that no aliens were actually infiltrating them. So, you know, and, and he does like just use this like idea of like people turn on each other, like that kind of general premise he uses that many times. Um, yeah. An episode I forgot about that I do want to give a very quick shout-out to, I'm not going to get into it, but there's an episode where, like, there's, like, a bridge out, and so all these people on this bus have to, like, go into, like, a cafe together and wait for repairs to be done, Oh, crap, what's the name of the episode? You know the one. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, it's so good. Will the real Martian please stand up?
1: That's it. I, I I didn't want to say Martian or not, because I didn't know if that was, like, the twist...
0: I it's a, forgot. Yeah. It's it's a fucking ridiculous slim shady title, but um <laughs> But yeah, it's it's actually a pretty good episode because it's literally just like they've seen evidence of an alien landing there, and the bus driver is convinced that there's one more person than like, there's one more person in the cafe than who they started with. And so the whole episode is just people trying to figure out who actually is an alien imposter. The reveal at the end is really weird. We're like, the alien is revealed after the fact, and the prosthetics are, like, ridiculous and goofy. But then it's also revealed that the guy running the cafe was also a ridiculous alien in disguise. Like, one was from Venus and one was from Mars. Um <laughs> and uh they're 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 arguing about like who's gonna conquer earth first yeah it's it's a the ending is so hokey it almost ruins the episode for me but um the actual like build up and the suspense of it is actually pretty interesting that's a season two episode as well season two pretty solid yeah, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, all of Twilight Zone is surprisingly solid. I think season one has slightly more of those, like, cheesy morality tale episodes than some of the later seasons do, but I still think season one has some some pretty solid episodes. I highly recommend giving Twilight Zone a watch if you haven't seen it before. Um, if you don't want to get through all the schlock, like I said, just look up a list of, like, ten or fifteen like beloved episodes and give those a try and see what you think because it is an anthology series. The episodes stand alone. Do you have anything else you want to say to go
1: Before we wrap things up? Yeah. Just one.
0: Okay.
1: Brian, we got through this whole episode, but we never talked about time enough at last.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that Brian, is. Brian! It's not fair, Brian! It's not fair. It's not fair! There was time now! all right end
1: episode
0: no wait i had one more thought thanks everybody for tuning in to the light show apologize this is like a slightly rambly episode please you know review like follow share it really helps we again intend to do this for the long haul so you know really intent on building up that audience so yeah thanks again for listening um and uh see you later
1: Yeah, we're not doing the closing monologue. Have a nice night, guys.
0: Yeah, you guys didn't earn the closing monologue. Fuck off.